Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 12.2. Wait, this actually worked? Last week, we introduced the 12th wonder of the ancient world, Julius Caesar's walls around Elysia. Arguably the greatest siege works ever built in the field, the Romans constructed more than 25 miles of walls around the Gaelic stronghold of Elysia. These 25 miles were split between two sets of walls. One set was 11 miles long, entrapping the large Gaelic army inside the city of Elysia. The other set of walls, some 14 miles, was built to keep the oncoming relieving Gaelic army out. And in between both the walls were the Romans. This had to have been one of the boldest moves in military history. Julius Caesar knew he was starving out the Gaelic army inside Elysia. So even if they surrendered, there was not going to be a whole lot of supplies for the Romans to be able to withstand a siege that they were now under by their own hand. The situation at Elysia had transformed from a simple siege to a pinnacle moment. Perhaps the Roman Republic itself was at stake. If the Romans lost here, despite the feelings for Julius Caesar back in Rome, they would lose a significant army and be exposed to attack from the Gauls. The tension around Elysia, rising from Rome itself, was so thick you could have cut it with a sword. Julius Caesar knew the desperate situation that he and his men were in. Despite the incredible job that his men had done in constructing the walls, they were not made of stone. Wood, dirt, and iron could only hold out an enemy army for so long. The incredibly large relieving Gaelic force, commanded by a man named Vercassivalanus, was determined to defeat the Romans, kick them out of Gaul, and rescue Vercingetorix, the Gaelic general trapped inside Elysia. Together, they could purge the Romans from Gaul forever. From within his walls, Julius Caesar observed the oncoming Gaelic army. He knew that a number of tribes had allied against him and were amassing their warriors to come to the relief of Vercingetorix. The situation was dire for both sides. Fortunately for the Romans, Julius Caesar's walls were incredibly effective at one very important thing. The two Gaelic armies could not communicate with each other. Had they been able to do that, then they would have coordinated an attack against the Romans. Despite the impressive nature of the walls and the barricades in front of them, the Romans would not have been able to repel a coordinated attack by the two Gaelic armies. Such an attack, with attackers numbering as many as 300,000, would have overwhelmed the walls, the men, and the barriers, and the Roman army would have been crushed. Despite this lack of communication, the Gauls did their best to attack the Romans simultaneously. But before the battles even began, 
perhaps the most horrifying event of the Battle of Elysia took place. In order to save resources and food, Vercingetorix forced everyone who could not fight, the women, children, elderly, sick, wounded, etc., he forced them out of the city. He assumed and hoped that Julius Caesar would allow these non-combatants to pass through the Roman wall and be let through safely to the other side. But Julius Caesar wanted revenge. Instead of letting the civilians through the two sets of walls, the Romans would not let them through at all. Trapped in between the city of Alesia and the imposing Roman wall, the civilians could only do one thing. Starve. An absolutely horrible fate for the poor souls who were trapped in Elysia. But perhaps this was the Romans' revenge for the Gaelic campaigns of the previous years, where they killed entire Roman populations of towns and settlements. When the civilians were not allowed to pass through the lines, the Gauls were more determined than ever to crush the Romans. Despite their inability to communicate directly, the two Gaelic armies succeeded in attacking Julius Caesar simultaneously. Elysia is high on a hilltop, so Vercingetorix would be easily able to observe what was happening down in the valleys around him. It'd be fairly easy to see when the relieving Gaelic army would make a move on the Roman walls, and he could order his men to do likewise. Despite this simultaneous effort, the walls did their job. The first initial thrusts could barely reach the walls before they were cut down by Roman archers and artillery. But one of the most important developments from this first skirmish outside Elysia was perhaps what allowed the Romans to continue to have hope. This development was a cavalry battle that took place on the plain in between the city of Elysia and the inner Roman wall. In this battle, the Roman cavalry trounced the Gaelic cavalry thus giving the Romans a significant strategic advantage. They might be substantially outnumbered, possibly three to one, but the Romans were expert soldiers. They were not just going to roll over and surrender. Julius Caesar himself wrote about the cavalry battle that occurred. All through the afternoon, the battle raged blindly, victory inclining now this way and now that. But the Roman horsemen pushed their pursuit almost as far as the enemy's entrenchment. Thus, the first round of the great contest was over. Caesar himself knew that this was going to be a slugfest, and that this opening skirmish was only the first round. Both fighters retreated to their corners, bloody, but knowing what it would take to win. The following day after this first battle dawned quiet. Both sides were assessing the damage from the first day, rethinking strategies, and perhaps most importantly, taking stock of how much food and water they had left. Both Vercingetorix and his army trapped in Elysia, and Julius Caesar and his army trapped within the walls, were running out of resources fast, and combat only accelerated the decline of said resources. But this day was the calm before the storm, Realizing that the Roman position was incredibly well fortified, the Gauls went to their A-game. This time, they would launch an attack at midnight. 
The Romans, who were used to pitched battles, were confused and dazed by this sudden night raid. Julius Caesar described the night attack as the Gauls awakening, quote, the night with a shout, and suddenly opened upon the Roman guards a tremendous fire of sling bolts, arrows, and stones, intended to sweep them from the ramparts, end quote. And it's here where Julius Caesar's walls earn their Wonder of the Ancient World title. The Roman army was clearly not ready for a night attack. Julius Caesar himself said so. And had the walls been anything less than what they were, it's highly possible that the Gauls would have broken through on that night and crushed the Roman army. But the walls held up. The obstacles were able to slow down the Gaelic forces long enough for archers, javelin throwers, and artillery to get in position and drive the Gauls back. The walls held up long enough for Roman reinforcements to arrive. One of Julius Caesar's main generals, Mark Antony, led reinforcements and was able to help drive the Gauls back. The Romans, helped by their magnificent walls, repelled yet another attack. But both sides knew that the stalemate outside of Elysia was coming to a head. One side was going to have to give up, surrender, be defeated, or starve. Those were the only options on the table. And although they would never admit it, the Gauls knew they were losing. They had to break the Roman position if they were not only going to save their general, but their war effort as well. If the one man chosen by the tribes was defeated by the Romans in the first real battle, the tribes would fracture again, possibly individually suing the Romans for peace. With this in mind, the Gauls launched yet another attack, this time in the daylight. As the attack began, both sides knew what this was. This was the battle for Gaul. The winner would be the unchallenged ruler the loser would end up in chains. If Caesar won, he would have his major military victory he would need for his political desires back in Rome, and a prisoner to show off. If Vercingetorix won, then the Gauls would be able to drive the Romans completely out of Gaul, and pose a serious threat just beyond the Roman back door. The Gauls launched a two-pronged assault on the walls. The main force, coming from the Gaelic Relief Army, attacked a specific section of the outer walls. Caesar described the attack force as being as large as 60,000 men. Seeing this attack from his position in Elysia, Vercingetorix ordered his men to attack the inner wall at a different place. The Roman forces would have to be divided. And even though this was just a diversionary attack, it was an all-out assault from the Gauls inside Elysia. Vercingetorix and his men knew that this was going to be their best and probably last chance to escape their fate. And it was a pretty good plan. The Gauls were able to push through the Roman barricades and made it up to the walls themselves. Sensing the danger, Caesar himself went with his men into the thick of the fighting. The Roman commander... Caesar, speaking of himself, elsewhere strove to animate the defenses by a personal visit to the trenches, 
where, appealing to his sorely harassed men not to succumb beneath the trial, on that hour hung the fruit of all their victories. Now perhaps this is a bit self-aggrandizing, as Caesar wrote that passage himself, to say that it was because you went and galvanized your men that you were able to turn the tide of battle. But Caesar is not necessarily wrong here. The Roman position was almost overrun. The Gauls had found a weak point in the walls and were attempting to push through. Finally, the Gauls were able to break through the Roman wall. But the break was not that big. It's not like the entire wall came crashing down and the Gauls could pour through. The gap was very small. They needed to widen it to allow the main force of their army through and absolutely destroy the Romans. But it's here at that moment of crisis where Julius Caesar went from general to legend. Caesar ordered two sets of reserves from elsewhere inside the Roman walls to be sent to this vital breach point. He knew he had to stop the Gauls here and now. If he failed, he would be defeated. The two forces were sent to the gap, but the Gauls were still pushing through. So Caesar did the only thing left that he could do. He personally led a third relief force to the gap to try and stop the bleeding. Perhaps seeing their general throw himself into the thick of the battle galvanized the Roman troops, as the Romans were able to rally and push the Gauls out of the breach. Caesar wrote that, quote, he himself led up to their support a third body of reserves. This turned the scale in favor of the Romans, and the enemy being here, definitely repulsed, end quote. With the Gauls expelled from the breach but far from being defeated, Julius Caesar ordered yet another incredibly bold move. Perhaps confident after the cavalry skirmish just a few days prior, he ordered his cavalry out of the walls to attempt to drive off the Gaelic relief army. This move was as a rousing success as his walls were. The Gauls, beleaguered, hungry, and exhausted, saw the Roman cavalry riding straight for them, and they broke. The Gaelic relief force turned and fled. They scattered and broke their siege off of the Romans. As the Gaelic relief army fled, Vercingetorix's head must have dropped. He and his men hadn't broken through the Roman wall yet on the inside. And with no one there to distract the Romans now, he knew he was doomed. He ordered his men back to Elysia. As the battle ended and the dust began to clear, Julius Caesar couldn't believe his eyes. It had worked. Trapping himself between two armies must have seemed like sure suicide to most of the men, if not to him personally. But this incredibly bold move paid off. And his walls around Elysia, which due to this victory have earned the title of wonder of the ancient world, and served him better than he ever could have imagined. The following day, Vercingetorix did the only thing he could. He unconditionally surrendered himself and his men to Caesar and the Romans. The war was officially over. The wars in Gaul were incredibly brutal, barbaric, and bloody on both sides. 
and the Battle of Elysia encapsulated that perfectly. The carnage at Elysia was stomach-turning. It was described as follows, quote, Above the palisades lay the bodies of warriors cut down by the legions, and beyond them, piled around the outer fortifications, stretching away from Elysia for miles, were innumerable corpses, end quote. I can't imagine a scene like that. But with the war over, the rebellion in Gaul ended pretty much as well. There were one or two other small uprisings, but these were put down by the Romans with relative ease. As the Romans began to incorporate the Gauls back into their empire, they treated the different tribes very differently from each other. Some were treated with leniency, and others without mercy. The tribes that were treated with leniency had something the Romans wanted, whether it be food, resources, men, etc. And the tribes that were dealt with harshly were a message. Mess with Rome, and this is the price that you will pay. The Battle of Elysia did one thing for Julius Caesar that the entire Gaelic campaign couldn't do. It made his army undyingly loyal to himself. And it was with this army that he crossed the Rubicon River and entered Italy, throwing the Roman Republic into chaos. And from this chaos, Julius Caesar would remake the entire Roman world. There's no way he could have known that, sitting inside his walls around Elysia, that the outcome of this battle would change Western civilization. And how what started as one of the most bizarre and questionable moves in military history ended up being the rocket that repelled Julius Caesar into history. Now Julius Caesar's walls around Elysia, being field fortifications, were not built to withstand the test of time as most of the other wonders on this list are. Made from iron, dirt, and wood, they were not built to stand for long. The initial 11-mile wall was built more as a traditional siege work. Now, building a physical wall completely around your opponent is unheard of in the ancient world, or in warfare in general. The Romans were able to do it exceptionally quickly. If they were unable to build this initial wall quickly, the Gauls would have just rushed out of the city, broke through a weak section of men and barriers, and escaped. But that was not the case. The Romans were quickly able to build their wall and trap the Gauls inside Elysia. But to me, it is the outer wall which is more impressive. Not only is it longer, but you built it to trap yourselves in between two armies. I can easily see that as being a difficult mental barrier to get over for the men who built it. But not only did the Romans build a second wall to trap themselves in, but they built that wall very quickly too. Now the Gaelic Relief Army was certainly not the fastest moving force, mind you. As the tribes were not unified in a traditional sense, they were more just working together but they were substantially larger than the Roman army. You know that cliché, stuck between a rock and a hard place? This is the perfect example of such a cliché. The rock in this example is abandoning the siege of Elysia and having the large Gaelic army continue to run around Gaul, 
until you can hopefully force it into a pitched battle. And the hard place being trapping yourself and your army between two larger armies. Neither choice looked like it would have a rosy outcome. And yet somehow, Julius Caesar came out on the other side not only the undisputed victor, but with a loyal army behind him as well. That concludes our visit to the twelfth wonder of the ancient world, Julius Caesar's walls around Elysia. Next week, we are heading back across the Atlantic, back to the New World, to one of the greatest mysteries of the continent, a wonder which at one point may have been substantially greater than what we have left to us today. But even what we do have is certainly a head-turner. Yeah.